If you've ever felt following Jesus was complicated or only for a select few extra spiritual people, this podcast is for you. This is the Keeping It Simple podcast, where the rubber meets the road concerning the one thing Jesus told us to do. Yeah, it's great to be with you again, folks, and uh, really excited about the new podcast and where we're headed with this for this term. Yeah, yeah, keeping it simple. Just a couple of simple fellas <laughs> keeping it simple. <laughs> shouldn't be hard. It's not going to be hard. The, the tagline's not we're a couple of simple fellas, but it shouldn't be that hard. <laughs> some, of our, some of our explanations might be complex, but the content, the actual core of it, is simple. Hey, and they say a good teacher is able to take something complex and make it simple. Well, so. you look at Jesus' example, explaining things like the kingdom, and uh, he was able to put it in the terms that everyone of his day could grasp a hold of. That's good teaching. Let's hope we get some of that. I'm sure we will. And hey, a big welcome to all our Dig a Little Deeper podcast listeners who I'm sure are joining us today. If you are new to the Keeping It Simple podcast, make sure you check out the Dig a Little Deeper podcast, um, yeah, as you can it. see, slightly deep, slightly deeper. <laughs> yeah, slightly deeper. So, uh, but here so we're keeping where, it simple. Where are we going, Levi? What's it about? We're talking about the one thing. And what is the one thing, mate? The one thing, Matthew 28, 18 to 20, arguably the one thing Jesus told us to do. Jesus came and told his disciples, I've given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, I have been given, sorry, all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you and be sure of this, I am always with you, even to the end of the age. So this is Jesus's last command, which I suppose should be our first priority. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, I've often heard it explained that, uh, you know, if you called people to your bedside on your deathbed, the last thing you said to them would probably be one of the most important things. Important things, yeah, yeah. And this is, you know, the resurrected Christ, of course, he's um, alive from the dead, but before his ascension into heaven and giving really his final words. So, yeah, you would think this is fairly significant. Yeah, and I guess a note to make here about who he's speaking to. Um, yeah. Not being all of the uh, professional Christians, in a sense. He's not talking to all the apostles. This is to his disciples. That's exactly right. There's, there is a distinction in Scripture. Those he chose, called out from amongst others and, and got them to go and lead. You could, and they obviously, most of them, the bulk of them, became recognisable figures in the early church as leaders. But here it actually just says Jesus told his disciples. So Jesus is talking to anyone willing to follow him at this point. So um, we're making this point that making disciples is arguably the only thing Jesus told us to do and that he's actually talking to every follower who would listen. So so one thing, I mean, it sounds a little controversial because it cannot be that simple. I mean, Jesus... He said many things. He asked us to do many things. I mean, is it effective? Is it? Is it? Is it, are we ignoring some things just to focus on one? So, like, I mean, just to throw out some examples. I mean, you've got John fifteen twelve, where Jesus says, "My command is this: love one another as I have loved you." 
Yeah, yeah. You know, we are obviously drawing this out and saying Jesus only told us to do one thing. You can say right there, well, my command is this, love one another. There's another command. Yeah. But actually what I'm I'm thinking is that uh, it fits under the umbrella, a broader umbrella, a broader heading, which is making disciples or discipleship as a concept. Okay, well, can I, th- can I throw out some examples of other things yeah. that... At least scripture let's, let's tells test us. The New, let's test the let's theory. Let's test the theory. So we've got we've got we've got prayer. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, one Thessalonians five talks about praying without ceasing because this is the will of God and Jesus Christ. Yeah. Well, obviously Jesus taught on prayer as well. So this is sort of an extrapolation of that, following through from that. Uh, you look at the garden. Jesus said, "Come pray with me for for an hour." It was his expectation at that point. Um, you look at him teaching us how to pray. We call it the Lord's Prayer. It's, it's actually our prayer. But, um, you know, prayer was certainly part of his modus operandi and part of what he taught them to do because that's what, mm. what discipleship is, is teaching people to obey what he taught them. Well, so there you go. It, it fits under the prayer. Does it fit under the banner of discipleship? Absolutely. What about something like looking after the needy? I mean, the, that's a kind of thing when you start to think about what, what would Jesus want to do? Looking after yeah. the needy would have to be one of those things that comes up. Yeah, well, Jesus himself came, you know, he typified himself as um, a physician, as, as a doctor for the sick. Uh, everywhere he went, he helped people. Everywhere he went, he fed them, he healed them, he spoke to them, encouraged them, uh, forgave them. I mean, all of this is part of this process of taking people on a journey. Um, and I think it fits well with under the banner of, of discipleship. What about going to church? I mean, surely that's something that Jesus wants us to do. You know, we've got Hebrews talking about don't give up on the habit of meeting together. Yeah, so how does that fit under the context of discipleship? Is the question. Is the, is that question. the question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How does that fit in the context of discipleship? Um, uh, well, I think that you have to have some sort of litmus test for the transformational work Christ has done in your life, if your character has indeed changed or been shaped, etc. And the only way you can do that is in relationship. And the only way you can really do that is in community. And we have a a natural human tendency to gravitate to those that think the same, look the same, act the same. We get in our little cliques. I think think church gatherings, so the body of Christ in a broader sense as Christians come together, it's a great test of our character and our nature when Mm. we bump into people or are forced into close proximity with people who might not think the same way that we do or might yeah. not, you know, might not see things the same way we do. Um, that's that's good growth happens right there. Yep. Even simply attending church. Right. Um, I think it's a low form, but being maybe a better way of putting it is being part of the body of Christ mm. uh, in a tangible way, not in some ethereal, oh, yes, I'm just part of the universal church. But, yes, I belong somewhere, I'm accountable somewhere, I serve somewhere. All of those things fit well within the frame of discipleship. Yeah, I've got a bunch more here if you want to keep going, but I guess I guess what we're saying is 
I guess it's a little tongue in cheek. It's isn't it? it's tongue in cheek. We're saying That's the exactly one it. thing. I obviously he asked us to do more than one thing. <laughs> but all things fit under one thing. Yeah, yeah. And that one thing is to be a disciple and to make disciples, or to be a disciple making disciple. That's the one thing mm. Jesus told us to do. Um, so yeah, I think everything in the Christian journey falls under that. All teaching. Uh, in the New Testament, fits within the context of discipleship. And ultimately, I think that disciples or people that are willing to follow, and we'll define this term a little bit later, but disciples, people willing to follow Christ, that is the fruit that God's looking for from our lives. Right. You know, we can confuse, we can think we're fruitful in all kinds of ways as believers, as followers of Christ. But actually, I think you could tie what is God looking for to his last command Mm. and making it our first priority. People are the fruit. People who are open to go on a journey and teachable, discovering Jesus and what that means to follow him, that's the fruit God's looking for in our lives. And I think, um, you know, there's. it's often been said like, is the modern church like the ancient church? Should we be more like that? You might have heard terms. People say things like, "We should get back to the early church." The early church, the Acts two. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, I mean, there's a lot. Of, there's some good points and some good thoughts about that. But uh, I think often we think when we t- talk that way or people think that way, they're they're probably thinking we're not what we should be in so many ways and. Um, you know, I've often mused on of all the things first century Christians would be shocked about in the modern church. If we just took the modern church in Australia, for example, um, what are the kind of things that come to mind when people think first century Christians could be shocked if they yeah. encountered this? Imagine just plucking a first century Christian um, out of their context and dropping them in their sandaled feet and robes straight into, you know, the average modern church thing happening, particularly in our world anyway, Yeah. Uh, in Australia. What's come? some of the stuff that's going to shock them? Yeah, you would think they'd be, oh, the media or the big screens. <laughs> big screen. I mean, a big screen would be a freak out I mean, that's for a just freak out in person. general, yeah. Whoa. <laughs> <That's, was> like, <laughs> they didn't even have black and white TV back then. No, they it's, yeah, it's, it's a little bit before that. You know, that. maybe the lights, the loud music. Um, yeah, I mean, look, as, as recently as as when I first became a Christian in the 1980s, we were debating whether you could use drums in church. Yeah. People were saying all kinds of dumb things like drums summon demons. Yeah, and, yeah, uh, the voodoo and, beat. Yeah, 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 and it's like, is there such a thing as Christian, quote-unquote, Christian rock music, blah, blah, blah. And and it's just like the dumb things you get caught up on. Yeah, the, the, the fat, the, I don't know, the haircuts or who can have long hair and all that stuff. I, I wonder... Um, yeah, I wonder, fashion. Yeah, I wonder if they'd be shocked by how come all the worship leaders wear denim jackets or have tattoos. <laughs> or have tattoos. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, I mean, the, the the fact is, religious thinking focuses on side issues. You know, mm. it's religious. If you want to typify the religious spirit, the religious spirit majors on minors. Uh, that happened in Jesus' day. That's what Jesus was continuously confronting. Uh, so making the, the the minor thing the major thing is really a religious spirit that blinds us to obvious truth. Mm. You know, t- to me, I think if you think about what first Christ- century Christians, these 
first followers of Christ, what might frustrate them or shock them or disappointment disappoint them the most is is maybe the fact that not every Christian makes disciples. Right. Yeah. It's a bit like, well, hang on a sec. <laughs> the commission, the Great Commission, what did Jesus tell us to do? He said, go and do what's been done for you. Mm. Go make disciples as I discipled you. Teach them to follow me. Teach them to obey me. And that was this broad mandate that maybe the average first century Christian in encountering the modern church could be shocked that yeah. that is not centre stage necessarily. So what do you mean you just go to church and sit <laughs> yeah. there? Yeah. Or what do you mean you're just focusing on your personal relationship with Jesus? Yeah, well, even that thought, like, what do you mean you just go to church? So if a first century Christian was to go... Uh, okay, so what do you do for Jesus? I go to church. What do you mean you go to church? Aren't you the church? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what do you mean, quote, unquote, go to church? What is that? It's like, hang on, you are the church. Um, now what do you do for Jesus? Yeah, you, you know, yeah, yeah, You yeah. are the church. How are you serving him in the world? Um, and I guess, you know, I, I, I know I got convicted uh, I guess long ago now, 20-something years ago, realising that I could spend, as a senior pastor, I could spend all my week doing everything it takes to lead a thriving local church and actually not personally do the one thing Jesus told me to do. Mm. You know what I mean? That yeah. I, I could be tempted to justify, in a sense, this kind of osmosis effect, the fact that I help create larger environments where where people are coming to faith and people are experiencing Christ and hopefully people are growing in Christ, I could sort of say that that's my fruit, that's my discipleship uh, effort, that I, I create environments where people discover Christ. Mm. But but when I think about it, ultimately, Jesus didn't tell anyone to run church services. Yeah. yeah. He said, make disciples. So, so I, mean, I mean, playing devil's advocate, like, why do church then? Well, you know, church obviously empowers our witness. Hopefully it does. Hopefully it encourages believers as they come together. The relational aspect is there. You know, it's strengthening. It's equipping um, but really, if you think about it, if all church is about is like one-dimensional training and information, um, I just don't think that's the church. I don't think that's what Jesus was talking about when he said make disciples. Mm, yeah. I mean, I've heard probably, you know, church leaders using language like I develop, you know, church leaders, I disciple church leaders. So that's my, that's my thing now. I just, I develop leaders um, I'm a disciple maker. Yeah, look, uh, that's certainly valid. I mean, that's valid, yes, is is developing leaders, developing Christians to to enter maybe more formalised ministry settings or whatever. Uh, is that valid discipleship? Abs- absolutely. I just don't think that's necessarily a reflection of the original commission. Mm. You know, so is that part of it? Yes, but... Go back to Jesus giving the commission. Think about it. First century, Jesus is just recently crucified, resurrected. He's been with them 40 days. Whenever this commission was given, and, and obviously the the writer is capturing a bigger thought, I'm sure this is not the only time Jesus said this, not only in the gospel. Uh, you know, the, the different gospel accounts record the same great commission a number of times, but 
but actually this would not have been the only time he expressed this thought. It's just the way that the gospel writers have captured it. And so if you look at that original context, Jesus is pretty well speaking to the only believers on the planet, Mm. quote unquote Christians. They weren't called Christians by this stage, but believers, those who were choosing to follow him and learn from him. He's talking to the only ones on the planet, which Mm. meant go make disciples in its real context is start with those who are yet to believe. Right. And I guess that can even be, I mean, especially for church leaders or people heavily involved in Christian circles, it it can be really challenged because you get stuck in this kind of church or or Christian bubble where Mm. everyone you know is already a Christian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think this is one of the, the reasons we struggle with the Great Commission and reaching our world is... Uh, Christians get sort of so entrenched in church world, which which is a great thing. We need to certainly need to be converted to Christ. We need to be converted to the church because they're two different conversions. I mean, getting used to your new brothers and sisters is is a neck snapping experience for some. Um, but then we have to be converted back to the world and get out of that bubble. And I, I can remember when I first you know, came to this city and began to pastor in a larger environment. I went from being really, I guess, a, being able to pastor a whole community in a small country town to all of a sudden staff and a larger environment. And I think I was here a couple of weeks and realised that in that couple of weeks, I was coming in early because it was a new role. I was trying to get my head around it. I was coming in very early. I was leaving quite late, often after dark. And I realised for the last few weeks, I'm not sure I'd talk to anyone who wasn't a Christian or wasn't a believer outside of maybe paying for my petrol when I put it in my car. Um, My whole world had been nothing but other believers. And it struck me, and I remember distinctly, I was in my office probably about four o'clock one afternoon And I just had to get out. I just got out and I went around the block. I walked around the block and we were, you know, in in a city church. And and I came back to nearly being back to home base and there was an older gentleman who was obviously alcohol affected sitting on the steps of the pub that was literally next door to the church. And I just sat down on the steps with him and had, you know, a 40-minute conversation. just wanting to talk to someone who's, who was actually in need, hmm. someone whose life wasn't going fairly well, thank you very yeah, much, yeah. and someone who obviously had had sort of, you know, life had smashed them hmm. and this is where they were at. And I sat down and talked to them, just the need to actually reach outside of myself and somehow get out of that bubble. Yeah, and I guess if even pastors and church leaders can struggle with making disciples like how much more so like like how are people you know the the grassroots christian gonna be able to pick it up if we're not even able to model it well exactly right as people who are who are focused on doing this every day or at least should be should be focused and Um, as i said you just get busy with the doing of stuff and you forget that discipleship, and we'll look at this on a deeper level too, much deeper level later in the podcast, but discipleship is relationship. It's, mm. not, it's not classroom. 
It's not osmosis. It's not an environment you create and hope everyone catches something, even though that does happen. Mm. That is not, I think, reflective of what Jesus did. He is the model, without a doubt. And being a disciple who makes disciples, I think we have to understand, not you know, not just church leaders. I mean, church leaders should get this better than anyone else. Yeah. But the fact is, that kind of disciple-making disciple is Christianity 101. Right. Often we look at disciple-making like this is this is for leaders. Advanced. This yeah. is advanced, yeah. you Come know. Come do this course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah this yeah, is yeah. Christianity 401. Yeah, no, yeah. no, no, no. <laughs> yeah. This is Christianity 101. Yeah. Uh, it isn't advanced Christianity. This is basic Christianity for everyone who believes is the desire and the determination to take someone on the journey with you. Yeah. So I guess the obvious question is, is what is a disciple? Yeah. And, and look, I, I know we've defined this and dig a little deeper, but again, we're launching out new into new waters. So, you know, going to the basics, I think it's really important that we do have a quality definition around disciples because there has been some some ones that I've even embraced in later in earlier years and they weren't helpful they sounded mm. awesome but they weren't helpful but this, the concept of disciple is not complicated in the greek it's the greek word methetes and it means learner or student it's that simple learner or student, specifically one learning from an experienced leader. So like the thought is someone further down the path than you. And and maybe the, the closest term that we could have to it in our society, the understanding is apprentice, you know, right. one who learns from another, who, who's already got the skills or got the knowledge, etc. And when I look at both of those definitions of that Greek word, learner or student, I, I think if you marry those terms, you end up with something like teachable. Right. You know, what's a disciple? Someone, a disciple is someone who's teachable. Mm. A disciple is someone who's got a teachable spirit. Yeah. You know? So, so not, you know, a disciple is not super Christian or perfect <laughs> or spiritual or what's been thrown around has often been a fully devoted follower of Christ. Yeah, look, those those definitions that have been thrown around at times and certainly the, the last one that you mentioned, um, fully devoted follower of Christ, that was one that I embraced wholeheartedly. Uh, it was like I'm, I'm going to make an army of super Christians, right. you know, mm-hmm. and it's like that is just so unhelpful mm-hmm. and contrary to the concept. You know, being teachable is being a disciple. Yeah. And I just love how inclusive that is because, you know, if you look at it in the life of Jesus, you can see it. So being teachable sets the bar really high for someone with pride. And this is why Pharisees didn't, be- you know, not many Pharisees became disciples of mm. Jesus. You know, the, there's examples of, of, of some that were open to him, obviously, or that asked him questions, maybe from a more pure motive. Most of it wasn't that, though. And so you didn't find Pharisees in his discipleship train because their pride, I already know it all. Yeah, yeah. I believe this and you should believe like me. That kind of thinking excluded them Mm. because they weren't teachable. And yet you see, um, you know, someone else like a Mary Magdalene who had to have seven demons cast out of her. 
obviously, uh, you know, someone who'd had some pretty broken experiences in life. And yet she's one of his key disciples. Right, yeah. yeah. The, the, the one that others might cast aspersions on or, or whatever. Jesus was very happy to have her in the inner circle. Matthew, mm. the tax collector, very happy to have him in the inner circle. Mm. Um, why? Because obviously they were teachable enough to, to leave whatever their past life was and begin a new journey. Um, so yeah. that's that's disciple. And it certainly seems like anything that promotes exclusivity is, is really con- contrary to Jesus' outlook. Yeah, exactly right. Like fully devoted follower of Christ. It's like who's going to... Who's going to reach that standard? Right, yeah. Fully yeah. devoted. Who tells me I'm fully devoted? Right. What does <laughs> yeah. that mean? What yeah, does it yeah, mean? yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Which is not to say that we shouldn't aim to maybe, you know. Oh, oh yeah. But, but it's like if that's the point you become a disciple, it's yeah, like, yeah. well, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's certainly not uh, let's all just get lazy and, and not really become committed. It is what's the entry point? Mm, yeah. I want to be a disciple. What's the entry point? Are you teachable? Yeah. So, you know, we. I, I'll, I'll never forget a few years ago, Go, um, an overtly gay man came to our church, and he, you know, had been through some pretty tough experiences. Really smashed him, and we knew him from outside of church world. And he just rocks up, you know, he rocks up. And we had a guest speaker at the time; I'll never forget it. And um, and he sat through church with us, and then after church, we got in a conversation with him and invited him out to dinner with us with the guest speaker. Mm. And so, you know, we all went out to dinner and he just asked questions continually about church life and Jesus and the message that had been preached, etc. And eventually, you know, he said to us, I just don't see where I fit mm. in this, in church world with you guys. And his question was something along the lines of how would Jesus see a person like me? And I'll never forget, he did an absolute double take and so did our guest speaker for a moment. He had, did a double take when I said, I think Jesus would see you as a disciple. Hmm. And, and and it was like, please explain. And I said, well, mate, you haven't stopped asking questions hmm. since, we, since we come out to dinner. Like you've just kept asking questions about Jesus, about church, about how it fits. And to me, that makes you a disciple. Doesn't doesn't make you a fully devoted follower of Christ. If that was the definition, if that was yeah. the definition, he wouldn't be a disciple. But he was definitely teachable. Yeah, and you know, and then went on his own whole journey of discovering Christ or rediscovering Christ for himself, and it was a wonderful thing to behold. Yeah, yeah. But but at the end of the day, I, I think, yeah, if you're teachable, Jesus says, Amen. Hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. You say, Jesus, I wouldn't mind following you down the road for a bit. Jesus says amen. Yeah. Yet other people who'd shown previous commitment when he teaches them something new and they can't accept it and they go to leave him, he doesn't try and stop them either. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, you've stopped being teachable. So he teaches on his body and blood. They don't get it. They don't understand it. And so they leave him. And Jesus is like, okay, cool. I think at that point you've stopped becoming a disciple. You've stopped being a disciple. Mm. So you might have been teachable. And I think we all go through these phases where we're teachable and we grow and then we plateau and often it's because we've stopped being a disciple, Mm. literally. We might still be a quote-unquote Christian, a believer in Christ, but we've actually stopped our growth process of being a disciple because we can no longer be taught 
something fresh. And then often that leads us to a cycle of repentance where we go, you know, I'm not happy with being stale. I feel like I'm falling away from God. God is distant. And often our revival and renewal, if we have a return to God, it it revolves around this concept of I will now be teachable again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And we become a disciple again. And I don't know whether you can recognize that in your journey, but I certainly recognize it in mine. Yeah, and I just, uh, again, I think talking about that, it's really, I think our real heart behind the Keeping It Simple podcast is kind of, I guess, helping and going on this journey and having this conversation around mm-hmm. following Jesus and being a disciple and, and being teachable is not complex. It's not just for special people. It's actually for everyone. So remember, good people, being a disciple is not about being perfect or a super Christian. It's about remaining teachable. Thanks for being with us today. If you've made it this far, then we hope that means this episode was valuable to you. We'd love this resource to reach anyone who needs it. So please consider giving this podcast a rating or sharing this episode with someone you know. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can email keepingitsimple at newhope.org.au. Thanks again for listening and we'll catch you in the next episode.